Happy New Year's, everyone. Justin Michael of DNVR Rams here, and I have to tell you about an excellent opportunity that my friends Mike and Virginia Chevalier are providing for all of you. Right now, you're probably hearing how excellent these great mortgage rates are. But Mike and Virginia, they're not your typical mortgage company. Sure, they have phenomenal rates, but what makes them different? Mike is a certified financial planner, and he looks at so much more than just the rate when designing your home loan. They're a small family-owned company, so you feel like a person, not a number. It's what it's all about. Whether looking at refinancing your current mortgage or buying a new home, Mike and Virginia will make the process as simple and smooth as possible. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com, enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. I'm telling you, Mike and Virginia, they're the best around. They're a husband and wife duo with over 15 years of financial experience, and they're going to work tirelessly to find the best loan for your situation. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com for your opportunity to win a free DNVR shirt or hat. Most importantly, get set up with that free consultation. Start planning for your future today. If you're a little more old school, you're looking to talk on the phone, that's all right. Call Mike directly. Give him a call at 970-412-2472. That's 970-412-2472. Or again, visit dnvrmortgage.com. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. What's up, everyone? Justin Michael of DNVR Rams here. We're back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. Got a special friend of the pod, Eli Bedker. He's back, baby. Good friend of mine. Great college basketball resource. Make sure that you're following him. Eli, what's up, my dude? I'm I'm glad to be on this show again. I think the last time we talked, we were in the height of everything that was going on, and I guess we still kind of are, but at least we have basketball to talk about this time around, so I'm always pleased about that. It's a lot more fun when the basketball games that we're talking about are actually happening and not just hypothetical scenarios that we're floating that might potentially <laughs> happen at some point, maybe if things go right. Yeah, man, the offseason was rough and I don't even remember. I, I had a count at one point of how many days the offseason was, but eventually I just tossed that aside. And now we're here talking about actual basketball, so it could not be any better than that. Eli and I were kind of talking before the podcast, we were just joking, you know, there was one point where it looked like there just wasn't going to be college basketball and it was going to be March all over again and the longest year of our lives. Thank God that hasn't been the case. It's been, in my opinion, it's been great college basketball. What, you know, how how have you enjoyed this national landscape so far, especially with, you know, some of these heavy hitting games right off the bat with teams kind of trying to, I I guess, guarantee themselves some tournament games? Yeah, it's been kind of a gift and the curse with the season going on in the height of the pandemic. But I think one of the really cool things that we've seen is the spontaneous scheduling from a lot of these coaches who are having games pop up, you know, 24, 48 hours in advance. Uh, we've seen Gonzaga and Mark Few just pretty much welcome anyone in the top 25 to come play them, which has been just awesome to see, even though most of their games haven't been all that competitive, but um uh, having daytime basketball and have really quality games, you know, top 25 caliber matchups, a lot of good mid-major teams featured throughout the day, seven days a week. That's been really fun. And now what we're seeing, which I'm sure we'll touch on late, later on in the show, is this two-game series, which a lot of the mid-major conferences are doing. And that's produced some 
uh, bizarre results uh, from some teams, you know, blowing out that first game and losing the second game or some of these uh, teams making an early two game sweep. It's been really fun and it's been an unusual year. Some teams still haven't even played a game yet. Some teams have already played 10, 11, 12 games. Uh, so it's if the first month hasn't been crazy, I'm sure the next three months will be crazy as well. This this might be a tough question to to answer on the spot. I think we might be set up for the most subjective NCAA tournament, you know, selection of all time. I think it's going to be a lot of just weird teams. I, I could really see a situation where a conference like the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, really gets a ton of teams in just because of reputation and, and some of these borderline teams like the Mountain West. If you're a team like CSU, you just you didn't really have the non-conference play. I guess I, I, didn't, I didn't really set that up very well. Do, do you get where I'm going with that one? I, I could see a situation where, you know, the teams like Iowa, Ohio State, really Rutgers, whatever, you know, they're just going to get the benefit of the doubt based on the fact that we know that they're playing quality teams and, and they got some of these games in early. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. And these high major conferences, I think, especially have been really strong this year. The Big Ten is loaded from top all the way down to 11 12 uh big 12 has several legitimate ca- uh contenders there texas just dominating kansas over the weekend that was pretty surprising um but i think i i do think the the bid totals out of some of these high major conferences i don't expect it to be as high as we might think and the reason for that uh, which i've mentioned a couple times on twitter is that some of these teams weren't afforded the luxury of having those eight, nine, ten buy games right off the bat, like we've seen in years past. Um, Kentucky is a really good example of this, even though they're now two and six, starting one and six. Um, this could very easily be a team that is typically, you know, 10 and six or 11 and six at the turn of the year that has, you know, a, a number of wins against sub 200 teams. But just because uh, COVID had prevented this schedule from starting on time in the first week of November, the season started the day before Thanksgiving this year, and a lot of these teams are now trying to schedule up quality opponents to start the season. A lot of these teams are winding up with kind of subpar win-loss records, uh, which could uh, negatively impact high majors, and it could be a good thing for some of these mid-major teams because I don't think the selection committee can look at a team that only has one loss or two losses, regardless of who they've played and let them uh, off the hook and not allow them into the field. So um, that could come into play for the Mountain West. If, you know, a team like Boise State or CSU or Nevada, any of these teams go on a run, because I just don't know how you could let a team that has a a really strong win-loss record uh, not get into the tournament while another team that's kind of that we know is good, but it's still kind of floating around 500. It doesn't really have the same sort of weight. So uh, good luck to the selection committee. I don't know how they'll do it, but it'll be a, certainly an interesting selection show this year. It's definitely going to be interesting. I I, I was just kind of curious on what your perspective would be there. I guess that would make sense. And yeah, maybe some of these mid-majors, they won't have you know, as many, you know, top 100 wins. But if, if you, you know, go 15 and one or whatever, at some point, 15 and one is 15 and one. A program like Drake, I guess, would be a good example. I've, I've struggled with how much to buy into Drake. Yeah, they're, they're blowing everybody out. I think they're like 11 or 12 and 0 against the spread. They're covering every game, but they're not really playing anybody. So, so do I buy in too much? I'm just kind of curious. What is your opinion on Drake? Just because I'd like to know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's an, one of these teams that I think uh, fits into the mold of a lot of these mid-majors that we'll see this season. And uh, when teams have, or are only playing, say, two or three non-conference games and they're the favorite in their league, and, and Drake wasn't heading into the Missouri Valley, they were buried in the Missouri Valley preseason poll. Um, but to be 12-0 to this point and really taking care of business against everyone, I think that definitely demands some sort of respect. And uh, another team that I've been keeping my eye on that uh, I've watched almost every one of their games to this point in the season is Winthrop uh, out of the Big South. And they're a team that's really impressive. They have yet to lose a game and they've taken care of business in all the games that they uh, have played so far. And they might enter Selection Sunday with just a loss or, or could even be legitimately undefeated. They're going to be favored in every one of their games from here on out. So, um, I mean, if you wind up Selection Sunday, we have four or five, maybe even six mid-major teams and all of undefeated records. That wouldn't be too shocking because a lot of these teams only have maybe 10, 12 games just left the rest of the year. Um, so... I don't know, like you have to kind of balance what a team has done versus their schedule versus how good they, they've looked. Uh, we've never really seen this selection committee have to deal with something like this before. So um, I, I would be curious. I don't know if they're going to do that early February bracket reveal that they've done in years past, but it would be really insightful if the committee were to speak on some of the questions that we have regarding uh, how these teams are being assessed or whether – uh, total number of games played matters. A lot of these things, or even metrics, we have the net coming up Monday morning. That could could be another big factor as well. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm really looking forward to the chaos that is inevitably going to just come over the next couple of weeks as everybody comes up with their own criteria for why this team deserves to be in the tournament and why this team doesn't and all that. If you were paying attention, though, Eli's thrown out some great information. Winthrop, going to be favorites. Moneymakers, if you're a better, that's all I'm saying. Pay attention. Follow Eli. Make sure that you're keeping up with all his national coverage. My man's a genius. I want to talk about the Mountain West, obviously. I, you know, I'm a Mountain West guy. I'm a CSU guy. You're one of the best Mountain West resources around. This San Diego State game, man, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Mountain West game like it. I mean, obviously, the largest comeback in Mountain West history, so it's insane in its own right, but I mean, San Diego State played about as well as you could possibly play in the first 10 minutes of that game. And the the last 30 minutes, CSU looked like the better team. Yeah, it, yeah it's just, it, it's one of those games that only seems to happen in the Mountain West. I remember going back a couple of years with that Nevada team that had just this knack of coming back from ridiculous deficits. And I don't know if I'm correct on this, but uh, the 26-point deficit might have broken the, the Nevada comeback against New Mexico at the pit a couple of years ago. I'm, I might be mistaken on that, but... Um, I think it barely was, topped it. I think that was 22, okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that was kind of different because Nevada was blown out up until like maybe eight, nine minutes left, and they just went on this ridiculous tear. Um, CSU came back, you know, after you mentioned that, that kind of 10-minute stretch. Uh, but ju just what a what an insane game! And you look at some of the like win probability charts and things like that for CSU to go on three separate stretches where they uh, scored at least eleven points and held SDSU scoreless in the same stretch. That is really impressive because SDSU is a team that has some of these 
guys who can really get you buckets when you need them. And Matt Mitchell is a perfect example of that. Jordan Shackle has been phenomenal this year. They just have such great scores on that team and can defend really well. It's just surprising to see a game unfold this way. But um, on the on the CSU side, uh, there are a lot of – I mean, there are several takeaways you can have from this game, and I think that all Rams fans should be really excited about how they battle back from this deficit. And I understand, you know, not having the fans in the stands in a place like Viejas, that's obviously going to be uh, – I mean, you could call it an asterisk on the SDSU side, but still winning at Viejas in this faction, that says a lot about where CSU is at. And I think it kind of goes to show that that gap between maybe the SDSU and the BSU, the Boise State tier in the Mountain West, uh, compared to where teams like Colorado State or Nevada or Utah State, I think that's a lot closer than what we might have imagined heading into the season. Totally, totally. I mean, Boise State, I, I still am really high on them. I know you're really high on Boise State as well. I love what Derek Olson can do as a scorer. But this San Diego State team, man, they're they're just so tough. I, I I don't think they're necessarily quite as lethal, you know, from the three-point line as they were. I, I don't have the numbers pulled up, but just, you know, given that they lost Wetzel and Malachi Flynn, I'm not sure that they scare me quite as much. But it's not like they can't knock them down. I mean, they demonstrated it yesterday. There was one stretch where they hit threes on, I think it was six consecutive possessions. It was, I mean, they could not miss coming out the bat. And then CSU just kind of flipped it on its head. And the big key for CSU this year has, has been defense. And, and they've been you know, a lot better defensively than I expected. You know, what have you seen from them defensively? Have they surprised you? Have they outplayed you? you know, what are you noticing on that end? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been the most important piece of CSU so far this season. And last time we spoke, and I was talking about Colorado State as a potential dark horse in the league this year, one of the things that I mentioned was that they need to be better defensively. And I believe I mentioned that if they were to creep up somewhere around maybe a top 100, top 125 uh, defensive team nationally on a points per possession basis, I think they could wind up being a top three team in the league. And I think last time I checked, they were somewhere around 70 or 75. You, you yeah, probably that know that right. better than I do. Yeah. Um, and so that's a gigantic leap, and that would easily be the best of Nico Medved's career overall, uh, you know, dating all the way back to his first year as a D1 coach. So um, they've been much better on that end than I was expecting. And I had a lot of questions about that because of losing the presence of Nico Carvacho. And even though he wasn't this sort of, you know, uh, shot blocker like Namias Kate or something like that, he was still a big presence on that team, especially in the paint. But um, they have a lot of really good individual defenders. I think each of the guys who start really get after it defensively. Um, Adam Thistlewood, with just with his overall length, I think he does a good job contesting shots. He's uh, super David underrated Rodney, guarding yeah. on the wing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you don't look. He doesn't look like the guy that's going to be a lockdown defender, and he really wasn't his first two years. It was it was kind of a liability, a liability on that defensive end. Nico Medved said after the second Fresno State win, Adam might be their best individual defender so far this season. Yeah, I mean that that kind of speaks to it right in itself because I I agree with you there. I think he was kind of more of a liability his first couple of seasons there, and now he's evolved kind of like how some of these other Rams players on the team have as well. Um, and David Roddy is, he has continued to, to blow me away. And from a recruit heading in, I wasn't so sure that he was going to, to get a huge look his first couple of seasons, but 
I mean, now he's a double-digit scorer. He could also have a legitimate argument as one of the best defenders on the team uh, and just kind of a, a do-it-all guy. It would be it would be unfair to call him a glue guy, but he really is kind of like a, a glue guy a plus who just does a lot of really good things for the team. So I think they have a lot of great individual defenders, and it's starting to come together. Um, I remember speaking with J.R. Blunt, assistant coach uh, for the Rams a couple weeks back, and he said that, um, that they had made a lot of progress in the off season, kind of familiarizing with themselves with what they need to do, whether it be uh, closeouts or, or, or just uh, maintaining that communication throughout the game. And I mean, if CSU continues to defend this way, to do it against an SDSU team that can really hit from the perimeter and create their own shots, I think that bodes really well for the rest of the season and, and what they're hoping to accomplish this year. One of the things that's been kind of interesting to me with this Rams team is their most dangerous lineup's actually been with Roddy at the five. I mean, he, he's only six five. I mean, if, the, most of that San Diego State game throughout the comeback, it was all with him running at the five. And, and I mean, he's kind of like a guard forward, I guess, whatever you want it. He's really a jack of all trades at this point. You can kind of just put him all over. SDSU had all kinds of advantage when it comes to length. CSU doubled their points in the paint. And they won the battle on the glass. I mean, if they can do that against San Diego State while going small, it, it's really going to be interesting to see because how do you stop this team? When they're, when they're small, offensively, they're going to be able to run on you in transition. They were hitting shots. I just I think this Rams team is a lot more dangerous than a lot of people. I mean, I, I know you said they had the potential to be the best offense in the Mountain West. I, I just I think they have, a at this point, I think they're clear-cut the number three team in the league. Although I, I guess Utah State probably has a strong argument based on, you know, what they've done so far. Yeah, it's the, dangerous is a perfect word to describe them. And I think what you mentioned there with the small ball is really interesting because the league has a lot of talented front court players. And Utah State's front yeah. court with Justin Bean and Amias Keda; those guys are both around. I know Keda's around seven foot. Bean's kind of lengthy at six nine, six ten. Uh, San Diego State Immensa was almost completely neutralized in this game against CSU, so I thought that was pretty impressive. Boise State has a ton of length from some of these high major transfers, and Austin's as lanky as they come. But if they're able to be successful and defend without fouling, I think they have maybe the second or third best opponent uh, free throw rate in the nation. That's that's a big deal too to be able to defend and contest shots without fouling and, and sending teams to the line. Um, that really kind of takes some pressure off on the offensive side. So um, I think you really nailed it. This team is very dangerous when they're hitting shots. Um, but at the at the same token, I think we have to mention that uh, with these types of teams, the ones that are dangerous like this, they are also susceptible to some cold shooting nights, and we saw that against St. Mary's. And that game, although we knew at the time it was such an anomaly, like bad teams don't even score 33 points, let alone a team crazy. that is, yeah, 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 let alone a team that is this talented offensively. Um, but it's still, you know, it still kind of concerns me a little bit. I'm, I'm just curious what they do on a night where the shots aren't falling. And that's, again, it, it's, it's good that they're better defensively now because they don't, they might not need to score 80 points a night to win some of these games. Uh, but you'll run into some situations where they might try to run transition a bit more and it could get a little sloppy. They could get a little sped up. Um, they might miss some jumpers. So 
Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that, but I do think the the fact that they are this much better defensively and that they've been able to prove it against some of the bigger teams uh, that they've played so far, I think that's a really big deal. I would say my biggest concern at this point would be the depth in the post, and I think that got exposed a little bit early in that game. Uh, Deshaun Thomas had kind of a rough outing defensively. The announcers were kind of uh, ragging on him a little bit, just talking about, you know, if he, he's not able to defend the post, he doesn't bring enough offensively to be out there. I think it was a little bit harsh, um, but, you know, as we saw, he was kind of getting eaten alive by some of those bigger guys. That's what forced CSU to go to that smaller lineup in the first place. What, you know, what do you, what do you view as CSU's biggest weakness at, at this point? Would you agree that it's, you know, down low? Where else do you think they need to improve so that they're more consistently you know, competing towards the top of the league. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that that's, that's worth noting there. The, the size, uh, you might have some really good minutes out of David Roddy at the five, but even still, he's going to be at least three, four, five inches shorter than some of his opposition if he's playing at that position. So it can work in spurts. I definitely think it can work in spurts if you're trying to speed things up and get some easy baskets. But um, I don't really know if that's sustainable over 40 minutes to, to try to run with that. And that's probably the reason why Colorado State's had these games where they've gone on runs and they've allowed big runs is because I think going small and having shooters and a sped up attack really kind of lends its way to some of these kind of crazy games that we've seen so far. So I do think that um, interior defense is going to be a really big deal for them moving forward. Uh, and still, I'll, I'll again bring up Carvacho and his presence because I think that they've been not nearly as good on the boards, especially on the offensive side, uh, as you would hope. Uh, their offensive rebounding has been a little bit lacking so far. Um, and that's going to be a big deal in some of these games where they're not able to hit shots because sometimes you're just going to go cold. Uh, and if you're not able to get to the line or, or defend your team or defend the other team and hold them down, um, those are going to be some some challenging games to win. So I think overall consistency is going to be a really big deal. Uh, the St. Mary's game, it's just still bizarre to look at that box score and just see that that happened. But um, we know that that won't happen again. But still, I think consistency is going to be really a big deal for them and just ensuring that they're still active and playing good defense on that side. I'm glad you brought up the offensive rebounds or the lack thereof, because that's definitely something that's jumped out to me in the initial stages, especially in some of those other games where they weren't knocking down some of their threes early. It's like, all right, you're jacking up threes. You're not getting second chances. You know, you can really put yourself in a bind at that point. That's kind of how you get those three, four minute stretches where you just go cold. And that's kind of something that CSU's had happen too frequently. That makes me a little bit nervous. Just, you know, consistency, going back to exactly what you said. Get, get to a point where you can find, you know, more consistent half-court offense. You don't want to always have to rely on attacking and transition. Things can get sloppy. You just, it, things can get weird. It's, college basketball is a weird sport. If you watch it, we all know it. But yeah, I'm glad we ju- jumped into all of that. I'm curious, as, as far as this San Diego State game goes, how much of this do we credit CSU and how much do we blame San Diego State for not closing on their home court I didn't love their shot selection. I thought they were jacking up some shots late in the second half. But ultimately, you know, as a CSU guy, especially, it, it's hard for me to take any, you know, credit away from CSU, just given it, it, they just, it, it should have been a death sentence. It should have been a death sentence down 26 at VA House. 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely should have. They had, they honestly had no business winning that game. That's not a game that SDSU has given up in years past, and I think it breaks a really long streak that SDSU has had of uh, games that they've won when leading with five minutes to go. That that was a uh, streak among the many streaks and records that were broken over the weekend. That was one of them that kind of stood out in particular. But uh, I think you definitely have to credit Colorado State to be down. Uh, whatever it was, 33-6, to six, I think you mentioned, uh, in the early going, and to battle back from that, I think that says a lot about this team. And the one thing in particular that I think this does that isn't going to be uh, trackable in a box score is from now on, the rest of the season, no matter what deficit Colorado State is in, I mean, it's not really going to matter. They know that they were down – uh, 26 points to San Diego State on the road, the defending champ, the team that won 31 games last year. They, they don't have that kind of uh, burden on their shoulders. They know they can play freely. And obviously there's going to be different situations from game to game, but just having that in your back pocket and just knowing that we've come back from a big deficit before, uh, they're probably not going to be trailing by 26 points many times the rest not. of the season. <laughs> you, would, you would hope. Uh, we now we've we've now seen this a couple times in the last few weeks, but you would think it doesn't happen many times the rest of the season. So um, you know, a ten point deficit, if if it were to happen on Monday, it might not be as big of a deal uh, as it was uh, twenty four or forty eight hours ago. So uh, I definitely think you have to credit CSU and the defense that they played down the stretch. They're obviously given the benefit of the doubt with some of the missed free throws and some of the shots that SDSU took, but. Um, a really convincing quality win for Colorado State. Uh, best start in Mountain West play that they've had uh, after three games. So there's a lot to be excited about. And I think a lot uh, moving forward that can still be ironed out that can make CSU uh, really solidify themselves as one of the three best teams in the conference. DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting you in the center of the action with endless ways to make it rain this week. Sports betting has never been this convenient. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from anywhere the app is available. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users a deposit bonus of up to $1,000 when signing up with the promo code DNVR. DraftKings Sportsbook has endless ways for you to bet, from live betting to betting on your favorite players' props. They do it all. It is a ton of fun. Check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day this week and cash in on their daily odds boosts. New boosts are posted every single day for all the biggest sporting events. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR when you sign up. You can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's with the promo code DNVR. Get that sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I want to kind of get into some of the dynamics of the two game series. We teased at that, teased that a little bit. Uh, but before we do, I I wonder if if this is the type of win where you know, like two years from now, we look back and just be look back at it and be like, that was you know the moment when everything changed for the program. 
to me, that Nevada comeback at New Mexico, you know, we'd seen them, you know, that was kind of like, yeah, they'd, they'd come back kind of a couple of times, the talent, you knew it was there. They did that. And then they went on that crazy run over the next couple of years where they were kind of the cream of the crop of the Mountain West. It might be a little too early to make those type of statements about CSU, but man, it had that type of feel. And it, it just, it was crazy. It's just fun to have CSU be relevant again and be back in that conversation. You know, I, I still do think San Diego State and Boise State are the clear two top two teams based on what we've seen. But it's just nice to, you know, be back to a point where it's like, all right, realistically, they have a shot to make March Madness. You know what I mean? It's maybe not an expectation, but there's a real life possibility. And then that's just fun. That's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting that you brought that up because uh, with the Nevada, uh, New Mexico comeback, because I remember specifically writing when uh, Nevada played in Albuquerque. I think that was the final, that was the final year of Musselman's time there. So that was uh, 2019. Uh, and Nevada entered as like a top five, top 17. And I wrote a story about that and how uh, there were some statistics that backed it up, but how that comeback at New Mexico, that 20 something point comeback really kind of sparked that program and evolved into what we saw those final three years of getting to March Madness and getting to the AP poll uh, and really improving the recruiting and the, the transfer wire. Um, and that can be a really big deal. And it's not, it wasn't the type of win that, uh, you know, was in front of a, a sold out crowd, of course, and it might not have been on everyone's radar because of how many great games there were on Saturday. But that's the type of victory that I think can really fuel a program and fuel a team that brings back everyone, but is still kind of inexperienced. They don't really have, you know, four-year seniors on this team. It's not uh, a team that is loaded with known commodities like Malachi Flynn or Sam Merrill or some of those guys, they're still kind of an unknown, but I, I think that Nico Medved will probably tell you that like, they're fine being in that kind of box. Like, it, it, I mean, what do they care if they're not being talked about some by some of the national guys yet? Um, but I do think that there's definitely something there to be said about a win like this sparking a big run. And kind of going back to your earlier question about, you know, this kind of proving that if we've been able to come back down 26 against San Diego State, then who's to say we can't come back, you know, down eight against Wyoming or down 12 against Nevada on the road. So I think it really bodes well for the rest of the season. CSU came back down 19 in Laramie last year. So they, they, they've kind of had go. that mentality from the start. Um, yeah, it's just going to be it's going to be fun to see how this kind of progresses over the next couple of years. There's a real chance if if everybody takes advantage of this eligibility loophole and you know decides to just come back, I mean they could more or less have the same starting lineup for like 3 straight years, which is I mean you never know what'll happen. Guys could transfer out, you know, coaches leave, who knows what happens. It could all change really really quickly. We've we've seen that happen across the country, but definitely reason for optimism in Fort Collins. As far as the second game goes, we've seen some weird stuff happen, man. I mean, just looking at that Boise State series recently. I mean, they beat San Jose State by like 52, I think, in the first matchup. Only beat them by one in the second one. I have absolutely no idea what to expect going into the second game. Yeah, it could go it could go every way, honestly. Like I wouldn't be surprised if San Diego State came out mad again and, and, you know, leads by 15 or 20 in the early going and doesn't really turn back. 
I wouldn't be surprised if this game goes down to the wire, which I would imagine probably happens. I would I would probably guess that this is a close game throughout, and we might see San Diego State pull it out in the end. But um, it's been really strange with some of these two-game series. We've now had uh, – I mean, you mentioned the Boise State one, which is just absurd in itself to lose a game by 50 and almost win it the next night, uh, or I guess two nights after. And I think there was out of the conference, I think in maybe it was a Patriot League, I think it was Colgate that lost their first game, gave up 100-something points, lost by over 40, and turned around and won the next game like pretty handily 24 hours later. So, like, it's just it's just absurd, and I don't really know. I'm, I'm really curious now to get talking to some of these Mountain West assistants and kind of gauging what they have to say about the two-game series because it must be really interesting from a scouting perspective because especially these early ones where you have – the teams where you kind of have a decent idea of who they are. I mean, San Diego State, we kind of know who they are uh, and what they do. But, I mean, how exactly do you parse through a game which you trail by 26 and then went on three lengthy runs and pulled it out at the end? It's just, I don't know how you kind of pick everything up and, and piece that together. So I do think that we'll see a lot of these bizarre situations where we might see a team dominate the first game and, and look kind of shell-shocked in the second game. But uh, as far as the Mountain West is concerned, most of these have gone the way that we've expected, I would say, minus the Colorado State one. Uh, but I don't know. It could go every way that you could imagine on Monday night. So it'll be interesting to see. But it'll be really fun when we get to late February where, when these games have serious implications and we have you know, conference tournament seating on the line or, or regular season titles on the line. And the team has to, you know, win one of two or win both games on the road. That'll be really fun. So I'm curious to see how that unfolds. I mean, at this point, you're kind of playing with house money if you're CSU. I mean, I, I think splitting realistically would have been if you said that going in. You'd oh, absolutely! What a phenomenal way to, you know, play at a two-game series in Viejas. Got one, awesome. A sweep, sweep would really, you know, get some attention if if they sweep San Diego State. I'm putting CSU in my top 25 and I don't care what anybody says. I'll fight all, I'll fight everybody. I'll stand there with the sword and take it on. If they sweep, I'm throwing them at 25. I'm just warning everybody now, but I'm curious, you know, if they do sweep, where does the national media, then how do they change their perspective on San Diego state? Are they completely out on the mountain West at that point? If San Diego state drops a third game? I mean, it's, I've already kind of seen this bubble up a little bit. I've seen kind of some people talk about, San Diego State may be hurting the possibility of a two-bid league in the Mountain West should they continue on this trend. And I think it's still a little too early to tell. Uh, we've seen at-large teams from this conference that have dropped some some early games moving forward. And uh, and we've already seen San Diego State pretty much dominate two Pac-12 teams in UCL and Arizona State. So I still think that they're fine. But I don't think that they're as flawless as they were last season. They still have a number of holes on their team that they have to iron out. But as far as the whole conference is concerned, I think the lack of uh, games against maybe the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or some of those high majors that they're used to playing, not having those opportunities is going to hurt moving forward because the best wins that you can have are only against each other. So, you know, every time there is a quality win, if, Colorado State goes and beats Boise State, then, you know, Boise State's like, well, now we're out of a potential quality win and vice versa. So, um, 
you kind of if you're hoping for as many bids out of the Mountain West as possible, I guess you just hope a solid two or three teams really solidify themselves at the top and everyone else kind of bows down. But um, I don't know how likely that is to happen. I think the middle tier is pretty solid. Um, the bottom tier is is really struggling, so there should be some uh, really not that many hiccups out of there. But I, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of talking in circles now because Boise State, you know, they they win a game by 50 and then almost lose to San Jose State. So I don't know. It's going to be a weird year in the Mountain West, especially with this scheduling. So it could go a number of ways. But I think if a solid trio kind of solidifies itself, they should be in in pretty decent shape. What team has surprised you the most in the Mountain West so far? You know, I would say it's that's kind of a tough one because Wyoming is a team that I thought would really surprise heading into the season, and they've almost been better than I was anticipating that they would be. I think that they people were been, too low on yeah. them though, with that roster, yeah. with what they returned, the pieces that they added. I mean, that yeah. that was a, a subtly experienced roster that Jeff Linder was able to take over. Mm-hmm. I, I t- I'm glad you brought that up. I'll, I'll let you take the floor now. My, that, I shouldn't have interrupted you. No, no, you're good. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that Wyoming could have been in a, really a tough situation like they were last year if Hunter Maldonado and Hunter Thompson left and even uh, Quan Marble. But each of those guys decided to return and they add Marcus Williams, who, I mean, I don't want to say he has no business playing the Mountain West, but he could legitimately get minutes in the Pac-12 or at a high major. And the fact that he was originally signed with Linder at Northern Colorado is still one of those diamond in the rough stories and and he's been great so far he's distributing the basketball he's scoring um he and he and maldonado are a really really fun duo and i don't know how many opportunities they'll get to play in front of you know a decent audience whether it be on fs1 or cbs sports or something like that but i do think that they're going to be a factor at least in the middle tier of the mountain west they're off to a really good start um, and if they didn't blow a 20, I mean, that's got to be like the second biggest blown loss to CSUs this year. They blew, I think, a 24-point lead against Texas Southern in one of their first games of the year. That's their only loss so far this season. So they could reasonably be, if they didn't blow a 20-something point loss, they could reasonably st- still be undefeated to this point. So I think um, they're definitely a team to look out for as, as we go forward. The uh, the two game series up in Laramie between CSU and Wyoming could get very very interesting. I mean, you add in the rivalry implications. I think these rosters match up kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, two teams that have really strong guard play, two guys that have strong guys in the post, but not necessarily a ton of length. It's it's going to be a, a fun matchup. I'm intrigued about basketball along the front range in general. I mean, it's uh, it's unfortunate that Northern Colorado lost Jeff Linder. But even so, they're, they're, you know, doing well this year as well. Wyoming off to a hot start. CU, you know, doing well in the Pac-12. It's a good time to be a basketball fan in this part of the country. Has anybody, you know, kind of let you down based on, you know, the expectations you had coming in? I mean, well, first team that everyone's going to mention as I gather some other thoughts is probably Kentucky and just what they've done so far. I I scheduling the way that they did in the first six, seven games of the year. And John Calipari mentioned it, but they really had no business playing that schedule that they had. It was, it was pretty ridiculous. And I can't think of any teams nationally. Well, maybe Gonzaga and maybe Baylor, but how many teams could really even go three and three or two and four on that stretch? There really isn't that many, but um, yeah, some of these teams that, that we've seen, I mean, 
Uh, you look at the Pac-12, that's a league that it almost seemed like they were finally on the up and up. They were finally on the up and up. They were supposed to get a decent number of bids uh, this past March. And you have this kind of solid uh, solid top tier of UCLA and Arizona State and Oregon. Um, the Ducks have been okay, but, I mean, the UCLA and Arizona State, we saw them get absolutely blasted by San Diego State. But I really haven't been that impressed with what, with what they've done so far this season. And, I mean, throughout the rest of the Pac-12, it's either teams that have disappointed so far or teams that have yet to really play anyone. And, I mean, last night I had the Washington State-Arizona game on, and that was a battle between the two teams that I think were 8-0 and 9-1 and at that point. And, my goodness, Justin, this was like your ultimate Pac-12 after dark. Like, just – I won't use that word, but just like a, just a disaster of a game. You have missed free throws. You have turnovers. I think Wazoo shot like 4 of 12 from the line in, in the double overtime. It was just like – Man, if these are supposed to be the middle-tier teams in the league, it's just not a league that's going to get much done. And uh, the the numbers definitely support that. Pretty much every major test that they had in non-conference, they lost. Besides Oregon, I think beating Seton Hall, they've lost pretty much all of their uh, significant games so far. So, I don't know. I don't really expect a ton of bids out of the Pac-12. So, I guess I'll lean on that one as my kind of disappointing league so far. ASU, man, I, I think they were a little bit just fool's gold. I mean, I know Remy Martin, he's a great scorer. Just not not a lot else going right there, you know? It's like, yeah, he'll score 30, but they're still going to lose by 15. So at what point, you know I mean? I, I'm not trying to throw... I, don't, I have no beef with Arizona State. I'm just saying. We were a little too high on them coming in. Um, from the Pac-12 perspective, I'm kind of disappointed because CSU, they were supposed to have games against Oregon State, Cal, Colorado outside chance they're able to get another game in with Colorado. Uh, Nico Medved, Tad Boyle, they've been in talks supposedly. I, I really don't see it happening at this point. Just now that we're in conference play, it would kind of take a situation where both teams have a schedule you know, open up on the same week. That Who knows if that would happen, but that, that would have been a great opportunity, I think, for this CSU team to kind of gauge themselves up against somebody else. Because right now we have you know, you've got what we saw against Fresno State, who's not looked good. San Diego State, who's looked great. Santa Clara, who's been, you know, up and down. And then obviously St. Mary's, that St. Mary's with St. Mary's. Other than that, you know, we don't we just we don't really know how to gauge this team because we just haven't gotten to see them play all that much basketball. I think those games would have been really valuable. Yeah, and, and it is around the rest of the league too. And most of these Mountain West teams play at least two or three games against the Pac twelve every year. It's almost like kind of like a mini conference challenge in itself and that can be a really big deal on selection sunday too for a lot of these teams if they can say that we have a win over you know asu even if they might not be a high seed or if the team has a win over another pac-12 team that's that's a really big deal and i think a lot of these mid-major teams like colorado state and some other teams around the country are kind of in that same spot where they might have had really good games lined up uh, heading into the year, but with all the postponements and, you know, the whole fallout of the Orlando ESPN games, all that stuff, um, the teams just don't really have as many chances to get those quality wins that they're usually able to hang their hats on. So uh, I guess, you know, in this case, you just take care of business of the game on your schedule, and that's what the coaches will tell you. But it's I think it's very true this season. So 
Um, but it is, it is weird now thinking that no matter what, the best win that CSU can get the rest of the year might be Monday night. Like, we just don't really know. It, it, it might be against Boise State, but, you know, having two wins against San Diego State, that could be a really big deal. So we'll see. You know, they, they still have the trip to Utah State that, that could potentially look like a good win if they're able to split there. Boise State being in Fort Collins, that's big for CSU's perspective just because I think that's going to be a really tough two-game series. Got to be interesting, man. It's, we're we're, we're going to get... We're, we're in for at least one or two more really wonky upsets, I think. Like something where just like Air Force is going to take down somebody or... Fresno State's gonna, you know, like go into Boise and beat them. I don't. We're we're gonna get something dumb because it's that kind of year. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised, especially with no crowds too. I mean, like, who really knows what could possibly happen? But with, I think going back to the San Jose State game against Boise State, we're going to hammer this one home throughout the season. But it's just absurd that you can go from a fifty point win to a one point win in a matter of you know hours so i don't know i think that uh that mo- that whole like momentum deal is a really interesting one i've spoken to some coaches how they have to like create their own energy on the sidelines it's kind of been the motto of the year so far and and just kind of take care of the business the way that they can so i don't know you're you're absolutely right we're in for some ridiculous upsets and finishes and it probably won't be as crazy as what we saw on saturday but it'll still be pretty fun nonetheless. Well, Eli, I always appreciate your perspective. Thanks for you know hopping on and talking some hoops with me. Tell the people where they can find you, where they can find all your work. I know you've got a couple of different projects going. I want to make sure that everybody is supporting everything that they can. Well, I definitely appreciate you having me on. Uh, you can find my stuff over at heatcheckcbb.com. That's where my, my written stuff is at this point. And um, heatcheckcbb is the handle for that. That's where I'm putting my time in over there. Um, and also every Tuesday morning, I'm, I'm hopping on a podcast with Brian Burton, who, you know, former Fresno State uh, Mountain West guy, uh, really t- talking about Mountain West every other week and top- talking uh, national topics every other week as well. So um, definitely staying busy, doing a lot of different things. So it, it's just nice to have some basketball to talk about. I'm telling you guys, Eli's the man, and I'm not just trying to butter him up because we're on a Zoom call. He really does know a ton about college hoops. Go check out Heat Check. Subscribe. They've got some awesome writers on top of Eli. Uh, Brian Ralph, uh, John Blink. I know you've got a couple of guys I really like. I really like the entire staff. Eli, thanks for doing this. Excited to talk hoops with you throughout the season. I'm just glad we have college basketball back, man. Just thank God. It's, it's so nice, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on, as always. Always a, a fun conversation that we have. So uh, this was a good time. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves We are just some drops of water, together make up seven seas And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be